0: Hello, and welcome to In Short. I'm your host, Alicia, an audiobook producer and director. And every other week, we'll open with a new author's short story that we've recorded for you. Then, following each, I'll be sitting down to chat with the author. We'll talk about writing, the spark of inspiration, and the process of recording and narrating their story. Then, at the end of this mini-series, I'll be trying to write and narrate my own short story, informed by all the wonderful people I've talked with. We'll also have bonus episodes focusing on audiobooks along the way. Chats with industry professionals, interviews with authors, and anyone else I can get to talk to me about audiobooks. This week, we have a young adult short story by Rosemary Melchior. Rosemary lives in New York City. She writes speculative fiction set in futuristic cities or cold northern landscapes, always in the present tense. Her work has been published in Writer's Digest as a contest winner and in Lunar Station Quarterly. So please, sit back and enjoy this week's short story, recorded from Rosemary's Blanket Fort on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Salt, by Rosemary Melchior.
1: Salt air slaps her face as she steps off the wooden ship, as if the island is already offended at her presence there. Pulling her fur cloak tighter around her shoulders, Sigga lifts her chin against the wind and continues down the gangplank. There are not many there to meet them, an older official, his face ruddy under his navy cap, and a small scattering of young men and women to see who's turned up on the ship this time who's been newly given over to this barren island of criminals. Welcome, the official shouts, as if any of them had a choice in coming. His fingers rest on a rusted knife hanging from his belt. A woman with a bruised cheek raises her hand to return the greeting, the civility of society not yet beaten out of her by the waves. Siga heard that the woman was a thief, though she doesn't look like much of anything now. On the prisonership over from her homeland to this rock bared from the ocean siga kept to herself at 16 she wasn't the youngest passenger her crimes were not as dangerous as the others murder whoring assault and thievery but the word they branded her at the docks made the others wary of her witch no matter how they make their money everyone knows to stay away from witches finally her feet touched the ground with a thump The land is frozen solid, the small clumps of dirt as hard as stones. Scuffing the toes of her boot through brittle grass, she reminds herself that she knew this is how it would be. Still, the sensation is strange after so many days on the water. The official scans their faces as the last person departs the ship. Satisfied, he takes a few steps forward. Now that you're here, there are few options open to you. You can join us at our settlement and follow our rules. Give whatever supplies you have to the keeper of the storehouse, and we'll give you a role here. We share all of our resources, and will help you stay alive for as long as we're able. Sigga's companions exchange glances and murmurs, but she keeps her mouth locked tight. She's not going to join some village run by a man, not after what happened last time, after what they did to her. As he continues, the official's voice darkens and he leans towards them. If you're thinking that you're fresh and strong, that you can come in here and take what you wish, know that you are wrong. We will tear your flesh from the bone and use your body to survive the winter. A shiver runs down spine, but she refuses to let it show. The official watches his words sink in, a wicked smile curling across his face. If that doesn't work for you, you can try your luck further inland or at the cliffs. Know that there's more danger out there than there is in here. People who choose to live alone on this island can't be trusted. He pauses. They tend to go a little mad. With that, his welcome speech is completed. He turns around on his heel, knife flashing in the sunlight, and heads back to the cluster of thatched huts that make up the settlement on this isolated island. Everyone else hurries to join him. Sigga watches them go. It's probably their best chance for survival. Alone, she scans the horizon and the hills before she makes her decision. To the north. The settlement is circled by a crude wooden fence and Sigga will have to go around it to get where she wants. Tucking her hands against her ribs to keep them warm, she leaves the shore behind her. The island has no name, or that isn't correct. The island has too many names to be known by just one. Prisoner's Rock, Isle of Exiles, Land of Ice and Stone, Dragonback. Sigga has read about it under all of its names, a place where people get sent to be forgotten. Exertion makes her face hot, even as her nose freezes. The settlement is far behind her now, and the ship disappeared into the horizon, but she's planned for this. Sigga has everything she needs, tucked beneath her clothes and in the small woolen bag that they allowed her. She's heading north, as far north as she can go. Ho there! The voice comes sudden from the hills, and she glances up to find a boy her age standing on the greening moss. He's from the island, his black hair long and shaggy around his chin. When she doesn't stop, he lopes down the hill to catch her. You, he says again when he reaches her, you're new. You'll want to turn around now. If you go out there, you'll die. Isn't that the point of this island, she says. He lets out a sigh, but the corner of his mouth turns up. If you go out there, you'll die quicker checking the sun to make sure she's still headed due north, her boot heels knife against the harsh ground. Perhaps, perhaps not. He runs a hand through his tangled hair, keeping even with her. There's always someone on every boat who thinks they can survive on their own. And you come to look out for them? She shouldn't be interacting with him, but there's a gleam in his brown eyes that pulls her focus. How charitable! Now he laughs outright. Who are you and why were you sent here? Siga, she tells him. As for the rest, anger no longer burns in her chest to keep her warm. Over the days spent in her village's dirty jail and the bowels of the ship, it compressed like snow tamped down into a frozen ball of ice. She carries it now like a weapon. I'm here for the same reason that everyone else is. I made the wrong man angry. Pleased with her answer, the boy introduces himself with a short bow. I'm Hem. Her foot falters, skittering over black rock. Like the saga. Yes, like Hem and his acts of light. The boy smiles ruefully, peeking over at her from underneath long lashes. Except he never stabbed anyone. She knows all of the sagas. After... They said she'd read too many forbidden tales, but she didn't. She'd read adventurers' journals, the bound letters of men and women who came before her, and the sagas in every interpretation. This doesn't scare her. Raising an eyebrow, she responds to the boy. That's a story I'll have to hear. His face brightens in the afternoon sun, and she wonders how long he's been trapped here. Are you planning to come back then? Yes. This is one thing she's certain about. This island will not kill her. Then I'll wait for you, he promises. Pausing for a moment, he rushes out the remaining words. Stay away from the valley. It seems like a good place to avoid the wind, but there are dangerous men who keep their camp there. Thank you, she says, and she means it. He stops walking with her after that but she feels him watching her back until the distance takes even that away. When night comes, the temperature drops like a stone tossed in a well. Remembering the survival stories that she's read, she huddles behind a mound of land and stacks rocks to block out the wind. She curls up, pulling her cloak tight around her body. Boots stuffed with rabbit fur, her toes are the only part of her that aren't cold. Her feet sweated on the boat, but it was all worth it for this small bit of warmth. Laying down, her mind doesn't quiet. There is a low circle of moonlight above her, and she thinks of the stories that brought her here. Not the good ones, but the others. How easy it was for a man to whisper about seeing her in that same moonlight, dressed in nothing but her long brown hair. That those books she'd read were full of evil lies of dragons and sprites and blood, or how she was spotted comforting a crying friend and stealing the tears off of her face for later. How would she save them? For what? Such nonsense. The word witch built around them like a fire being stoked, more powerful, more believed with every uttering. He took her away from her friends, ruined her reputation with the village, caused her own family to cast her out of home when they started to believe the stories, all to protect the small powers that he had gathered while leading the village. How fragile his pride. Forcing her eyes closed, Siga tells herself to sleep. Her hands curled tightly against her stomach for warmth, but the thoughts won't quiet, not when she's so close it started so simply before the leader of the village decided to build the new village road right by the inn he owned even though the route didn't make sense he issued a new tax against those with more than five horses so high that soon no one had more horses than him just the same he pardoned his friends and found accusations against their enemies his purse grew with coin that never should have belonged to him no one else could see it until she started to tell them it was exactly as she said to him her words made the wrong man angry and now here she is the next morning dawns still and clear the sky unbearably blue above her as directed by the sun she keeps walking north across the endless land green lichen is frozen underfoot crackling like a fist with every step. When she's been walking for a few hours, she tugs at the sun-warmed moss and places it in her bag for later, insulation when she sleeps. The nights won't get any kinder, she knows. The journals she's read say it only gets worse. Wind sears her like hellfire as the landscape opens up. A black rock tower rises in the distance, its cap ringed in fog. But her steps don't seem to take her any closer her fingers freeze despite their wraps her ears burn underneath her cloak's furred hood she doesn't dare dig into the store of food she hoarded and hid during the ship ride over yet and her stomach howls with the wind it's early afternoon when she comes to the valley that hem mentioned a thread carved out of the land and walled in black rocks there's a hint of a river at the bottom and her body is so tempted to climb down, to walk without the scream of the wind in her ears. Hems' words echo in her mind. There are wild men down there. It's hard to make herself bow her head against the wind and leave it behind, but she does it. She'll need to be on alert for those who camp there. No weapons are allowed on the ship. No knives tucked down tunics or sewn into Hems. She has nothing but her wits and the rocks around her to defend herself and her wits haven't served her so well lately. Siga gives the valley a wide berth, adding unknown time to her journey. As she walks, a far-off screech makes her heart stop. The men? An animal? Her own foolish pulse? Harsh air stings her lungs as her breath comes quicker. Another sound follows her, a dark laugh torn from an angry throat. She's not imagining it. Those men are coming. Running now, she crests a low hill and pauses. A wide river cuts in from the surrounding sea, both ends invisible in the distance. Ice glazes the surface, but she can't tell how thick it is. If it will hold her. There's no other way for her to go. Sliding down to the river's edge, she sets her boot on the ice. A crack echoes from nearby. And she makes a decision cold is better than wet she goes to her knees then lower to spread out her weight and pushes herself across the surface of the river ice crystals snag against her skin the river groans around her hungry and alive she hears it when something joins her on the ice but she keeps her eyes forward a numbness sneaks past her dress despite the layers When she reaches the far side, she digs her fingernails into the dirt to scramble up the bank. There's a flash of black behind her, but she doesn't turn around to see them. She keeps running north. If she was looking for hospitable land, she would have turned back long ago, would have crawled back to the settlement and begged them to take her in. But she isn't. She's looking for something more. The next morning, the snow comes. When she wakes... A light dusting covers the ground, and she can see animal markings around the remains of her campfire. Rabbits or fox, it's too blurred for her to tell how dangerous. Her fingers crack like sticks when she forces her grip tighter around her bag. Nothing she can do but continue, she tells herself, although the words don't feel as strong as they did before. Leaving her camp behind, Sigga continues north. Her mother would tell her to wrap her sore feet with linens, to staunch the blood before it wrecks her boots. Half blinded by the snow and her own sour thoughts, Sigga doesn't see the rock until she stumbles over it. Flat on the ground, she tips her chin to glare and blanches at what she sees. It's not a rock that she's tripped over, but a body frozen in ice, half buried under stones and peat. The body's arm is clearly broken. They'd never make it further like that. Its face is a hand's breadth from hers. Close like. In a moment, she's here, and also there, on her last free day in the village. When her family turned her out, the villagers came for her, massing in the streets like a flood. They knew she was nothing. Alone. She fled to the only place she knew they wouldn't go, the small dark space carved out beneath the village cold house. It was sometime before her eyes adjusted to the blackness, before she realized what was next to her. A body, dead only a few days. She hadn't known. They would keep it until spring thawed the ground for burial. Maybe Sigga's body would join it. No, she knew better. Witches didn't get buried. They got burned. Or hung. Or cleansed. Lungs full of lake water. Cheek pressed against the packed dirt floor she listened to the mob outside calling for her neck while staring into the corpse's open eyes the shiver she had then flood her body now no other way to save herself she couldn't leave couldn't move until she wanted to die too until perhaps she did all her fear and pain bled into the frozen ground and that cold climbed up into her instead when she finally slid away from the corpse She knew what she wanted to do. She went out into her village and let them take her away. Climbing steadily to her feet, she strips this new body of their cloak, whispering prayers all the while. Were they a murderer, a rapist? Did they deserve their death on this island? Does anyone? That night when she builds the fire, she burns it for hours until her questions cease to matter. Something has to be worth this. Time loses all sense after that. There are hours where she doesn't think of anything but the white circle of the sun guiding her north and the hard rock of anger in her chest, heavy as her straining heart. Cuts and bruises appear on her skin. Cold burrows into her lungs. Sigga passes a frozen waterfall hanging from the gray cliffs like the folds of a dress. She looks at it for too long and she slips, falling on hard ice underneath the cover of snow. Pain spikes up her body. Catching her breath, she brushes away the snow to see the frozen lake underneath her. It's dark and murky in the water, but she sees a round shape bumping up against the crust of ice. Almost like an egg. It's glowing gently beneath the surface. This is a sign. The northern coast must be close. Forcing her disjointed body up and into movement, she runs. Air stings her face and she can taste salt again for the first time since she left the coast. She runs until she sees a horizon in the distance. Until she's at the gray rocks, a jagged cliff not too high above the ocean. Reaching the edge, she peers over to the water below. There they are. The ice dragons. Buried under the icy waves, their tails rip through the water as they swim. Ice crystals crust their eyelids like salt from the ocean when they surface, their heads almost lupine. Their scales gleam blue and green and silver, edged in light and sharp as knives. Wonder and rage dance through her chest. There are many ways to punish a girl, Siga let it be known that this frozen island was her biggest fear, whispered like a secret through the village, and a man like that couldn't resist. Arrogant, condescending, he was all of it when he proclaimed her sentence. She was going to Prisoner's Rock, Isle of Exiles, Land of Ice and Stone, Dragonback. Siga read about the rumors of the dragons, the ones that people didn't believe in. Their breeding ground lies at the northernmost point of an abandoned island. Looking out at the water, a smile breaks over her face for the first time in a while. He wanted a witch, so she'll give him one. She'll see him burn on the pyre he built for her.
0: All right, I hope you enjoyed that fantastic short story. It's time now to have a chat with Rosemary about the whole process. For our chat, I let her out of the blanket fort, which was threatening to fall down at any moment. Rosemary, welcome and thank you for joining me on the second episode of the podcast with your short story, Salt. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I, this is a short story that I have... So much love for. I remember when I reread it, and when we were talking about you coming on the show, and I just remember really, really feeling, sort of this, big like barren world, Um, and I think it's one of my favorite things about it is sort of the location. But I want to start at uh, sort of the concept of this whole whole show. Why short stories? Uh, I've told everyone that, you know, this is something that intimidates me. I find them very difficult to write, and so I'm trying to learn as I go along. But yeah, why short stories? What's the appeal for you?
1: So this was actually the first short story that I had ever fully written and completed. And I have to say the thing that I like the most about it is that you can explore a world without this deep commitment. When you're writing a novel, you know, you're looking at, like, 80,000 words, which is just so much, and it's so immersive. It's a way to explore either a setting or a feeling without having to to go crazy.
0: Yeah, no, I get that. Like I, um, Sam mentioned this last week, and lots of other people I've spoken to <laughs> say that there's the beauty of like engaging with something really deeply, but for a short period of time. And you you write quite. Uh, big world. You write speculative fiction, you write fantasy. And so what is it that made you want to boil it down this time?
1: I think it's trying out, trying out this moment. So when I had first thought of this story, what came to me first was the last line, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then it was just kind of paying off, like, how can we get there? And so I like about short stories that it's um, setting something up. Um, I like that you can go deep into this feeling, and for her, I mean, it was very much this this revenge feeling and getting her power back, and to really just mm-hmm. explore and encompass that moment, um, and like leave it there, which I really liked.
0: Yeah, I I, I love that you started from that last line. Um, it is, I mean, like it's such a payoff for this whole sort of journey she goes on. Um, that, that to me is really exciting that that was like the original. It's so satisfying when you get to the end there. So where did that line come from? What was it that had helped you generate that idea?
1: I have no idea. Um, it just popped into my head, uh, (laughs) just popped into my head one day and I'd written it down in like a note on my phone and then slowly built SIGA from that and then the world from there. So... I've
0: already said how much I love the world. Um, One of the things that I got from this, and I don't know if this is what we didn't actually speak about um, the location at all, really, when we started talking about this, but the images I got was like this vast Icelandic sort of coastline with those really dark gray beaches and the sort of dark grays and all those fabulous pictures you see on like Instagram. Is, is, is that what you had in
1: mind? I'm like doing like this emphatic nod over here that nobody else can see. <laughs> um, yes. Yep. So it is based on Iceland. So I had gone there a couple of years before and so I like... Re- oh, cool. Yeah. So I like re-looked at all of my photos and I think also whenever I travel I tend to almost take notes on like what I'm seeing and how I would describe it. And so I kind of dipped into that memory of Iceland when I was writing it.
0: I mean, it came across so, so clearly. And and I was thinking about the location when I was listening through to it again. And there's nothing in it that is incredibly specific. Like, there's nothing that says Iceland. There's nothing that says any sort of locational pinpoint that's going to make a, a listener go, aha. But... Yeah, you really conveyed that. So so was it just going through those pictures? Was it just really kind of evoking mood with it? Like, how, did you have to dig through it? Did you have to rewrite? How, how did that process go?
1: So looking at the pictures, and it was much, uh, it was less describing the images and more of just tapping into what did I feel when I was looking at those things. And that's what I wanted to get across was like the emotion of the place and the feeling of it more so than anything too specific or... Identifiable with Iceland, maybe.
0: Did you have like a sense of a uh, sort of time period? I mean, when I think of those uh, those long beaches, um, I I kind of feel they're timeless. But did you have like a sense of uh, a sense of a time
1: period for this story? Oof, I feel like I probably should. I want to say like randomly eighteen hundreds esque. Like it was like the time of like small villages and myths still being very potent. And mm. also kind of shaded at the same time where, you know, women didn't have power, where these myths did and they were trying to take it away from them. Um, so it's like a very amorphous time, so similar to, it was a feeling, um, but so probably around then. Uh,
0: yeah, and I think the the theme of women not having much power in this sort of time period, um, you, you display that so brilliantly with Sigurd's Um Sigur's backstory but then you you give us this wonderful sort of dual timeline with her memories where we see Sigur sort of battling with the memory of being weak and powerless and then the moment that she decided to take her fate into her own hands um again like what was the process sort of writing this character did you did you rewrite did you sort of what what's your actual process when you sit down to to write
1: what I really wanted from Siga, and I feel like there's all of these conversations about like anti-heroes or like bad behavior that people like, like I wanted her to really lean into this feeling of revenge and taking this kind of power, even if that's sometimes frowned upon. That's really what I wanted to get across from her. And when I write, I feel like I write specific, like a scaffolding almost, like writing out the key points and the key feelings I want from her and then Mm -hmm. building around it and fleshing it in. So it was always with that goal in mind, knowing that at the end of this, there was going to be this reveal to the reader about who she was Mm -hmm. and what she wanted. And so setting it up for that throughout.
0: I think you laid the groundwork so well, um, because I remember when I first sort of was reading it and it's kind of got this sense of she knows where she's going. And at the start, the reader or the listener doesn't, and you don't know that it's sort of fueled by revenge um until you kind of go on and, and it's like she's stuck in her own head um and you're kind of getting her her sort of rolling the revenge around and around, and it builds up to that fabulous moment at the end, which is just yeah it's it's uh, like I said, such a payoff um one of the things I adore about the story is it feels like an origin story it feels like Sig is gonna become this crazy powerful um uh, witch um the thing that people sort of branded her with and she really took ownership of that um when you were writing it did you have like a sense of who she was gonna become
1: in terms of like where she goes after this I think I have big ideas of what she's going to do because I do think she knows she's going to return to that village she's going to to enact some revenge, but not anything too specific. I, like, wanted to leave it open and kind of leave people with the ability to imagine her story however they wanted to. I liked mm. taking her up to, like, that brink of that moment and just kind of leaving her there to go off. Setting her loose. Yes, yes setting her loose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so could you see it growing? Like, could you could you see yourself writing a novel from Sigga's story?
1: don't think so like i really love the world and i really like her and like the idea of like the ice dragons is still very interesting to me but i feel like the most interesting part of her story to me was that journey on the island and then yeah i i I don't think i would want to write what's uh, what comes next i like i like where where she is for the moment
0: so it feels very solidly grounded in short story territory
1: yes yeah to me i think so
0: so i've already said that i'm you know crazily intimidated by short stories um what baffles me even more so is someone who takes on fantasy in a short story this whole idea of world building um how did you approach that because it does feel so solidly grounded like are are the ice dragons are they sort of in sort of fantasy lore is this something that you've come across before are these ice dragons just from rosemary again
1: I really wanted to write about ice dragons. Um, <laughs> dra- like, I'm not typical. I don't read too much high fantasy. Um, I feel like dragons are, like, a big part of that. And so I'm sure that there are a ton of ice dragons out there. I'm sure that that's, like, its whole own genre. Um, But I didn't know too much about it going into it, which I think allowed me to kind of explore it and set it up the way that I wanted to with, like, the eggs and the things like that. So without having the expectation of what I should be writing about Ice Dragons or what's already canon for them, um, I was able to just play around with it a little bit. So did you feel kind of... Uh, free of the the sort
0: of fantasy laws you were able to just indulge yourself in and uh, your idea of what they could be
1: yes exactly like just take a little bit of it here a little bit of it there yeah
0: like you used um sort of the elements so incredibly in this I remember um you there's a line in it where you say um the ice crystals snagged at her dress when she's like crossing the ice and I just remembered like that crazy kind of sharp feeling you know when you get like a shard of ice and you kind of mm-hmm. like if you got your skin stuck in like a very tiny crack like I really felt it so I think you used elements so beautifully in this story oh, thank you um I so before we get on to kind of your recording I just want to kind of get a lay of the land um your feelings about audiobooks are you a listener sort of uh what was your experience being with audiobooks before this point
1: I am not a big audiobook person. I'm a really big reader, and I feel like when I read something, I'll remember it, and it kind of sinks in. And when I listen to something, not to say that I don't, but it's not as immersive to me. So before this experience, I haven't really worked with audiobooks or listened to audiobooks, but I did – I mean, this is a plugging within a plug – but, like, I did listen to the first episode, and I actually thought that was so amazing, like, that length of fiction – was like just enough where I didn't find myself getting lost or forgetting. I thought that was so interesting, to because it. I mean, it's like a podcast, but it's um fiction as well. So I, yeah, I think this shorter fiction is awesome for for audio.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think that's something you know Sam said as well in the last episode that she um, typically likes nonfiction if it's long form, but kind of has has an appreciation for shorter snippets of fiction. I know that you're a big fan of theater. So where do you think it's... How do you think audiobooks sort of sit with literature and theater? And how does that work for you?
1: Actually, honestly, talking to you really made me rethink about the way that I even think about audiobooks because, and doing this experience because it does feel like it's its own medium. It's not somebody just reading a book. There is so much that goes into it that's almost like, like it's like a radio play. There are voices and sound effects and Mm -hmm. pacing and the emotion, and it isn't just a straight reading. Um, So it feels so much more alive in this medium. I think it's becoming more and more prevalent in the industry where audiobooks are taking on this new form and, like, being seen as its own thing and not just, like, a narration of the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly what I am... I'm hoping for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting thing. I was actually talking to um, my husband last night and we were talking about how um, sort of I feel like a lot of the time in the industry, even industry professionals, the way that they use language kind of helps create this barrier. So for example, at the end of an audiobook, you'll get the credits, it'll be narrated by or read by or performed by. And I think which one you choose is very, very specific, very specifically communicates how they're being thought of. And I think that that's a really interesting thing is that I would want to pick performed if it's a fictional piece like if someone is sat there performing it it's a very different experience than if someone's reading it but yeah I could talk about this element of it for ages but what <laughs> I want to talk about now is the process of recording it with you um just so the listener knows we recorded this twice mm-hmm. um we had um some issues with our original blanket fort up in uh like was it upstate yep upstate Um, and so this is actually the second recording, um, of, of Salt. And I think actually, um, I think it is definitely the better recording, not just sound quality, but like it, it really feels like you'd kind of eased into it. You, you knew what to expect a little bit more working with someone directing you. Um, but tell me how you felt about the whole recording process.
1: It's a very interesting experience. Um, it's so interesting because it also, I think, it does make you think about what you wrote, too, on a whole separate other level. In what way? So, even, like, thinking of – I know, like, people always say, like, you should read your stuff out loud. That'll help you, like, identify, like, things. But, like, even the difference between characters – I think on page, it's very easy with, like, he says, she says, et cetera. And, like, when it's being read out loud, there's not that moment. And even, like, between narrator or, like, description and the main character, like, making sure that their voice is identifiable. Because I tried to do it, or you tried to have me do it, like, changing, like, the tone or the pitch for, like, Men are different characters, which was so hard because you would say something and I would be like, yes, of course. And then I would say it exactly the same way. <laughs> um, so it's really hard to get that expressiveness in there. But I also think it makes you think like the way that these people should talk should be different than the other person talks. And I think like the word choice and even, even if people are the same age or they're in the same world, I think there are different nuances that you can bring to... Their dialogue that perhaps I hadn't thought about as much before until I had to like differentiate these people within without the ability to differentiate it mm. as clearly on page
0: yeah, and I think you 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 did it really well, you say that uh, you did it exactly the same you certainly didn't um sometimes I really enjoy working with um, uh, author narrators, so people who haven't been trained to act because sometimes you actually kind of get a whole new way of looking at a character that you wouldn't necessarily have uh, directed and the combination of both of you coming together and figuring out how to, one, communicate it to the author-narrator and, two, um, for the author-narrator to kind of figure out how to, like, manipulate their voice. I think you come to a really kind of interesting uh, sort of set of characters. And so I really, really enjoyed, um, like, your The Official at the beginning. Like, he had this really kind of, like patronizing menacing tone that I hadn't necessarily thought of I mean I thought the menacing but I hadn't thought the sort of the patronizing sort of element of it at all but when we were going through it and we were kind of saying we'll try it like this and try it like that it's kind of what came out and it started to work really really well so I think you did really well (laughs) thank you um I think your confidence grew significantly from the first to the second time definitely one of the bits that stands out for me um, is the line where you say how easy it was for a man. Um, And that, like, you talk about uh, how he had seen Sigur c- collecting tears from her friends crying. And then she has this outraged moment. Like, how would she save them? For what? Such nonsense. And I loved that. And I thought you actually, like, you had built to that bit so well. First of all, what was it like hearing it?
1: <laughs> Very awkward you and I kind of talked about this a little bit already like you never think because it's a it's so hard to separate yourself from your writing in general and then like B, like listening to your voice which you don't often hear in this kind Mm -hmm. of way reading everything out loud so it was very much like a pause collect my breath kind of moment um (laughs) it was definitely the first time I've ever done something like this
0: You did really well. You were really responsive. And, like, it makes a difference when you've got someone who's really eager to get it right and is like, you know, I'm completely new to this. Tell me what to do. The other element of it that I loved is that you handled the rising tension of it really, really well. And I think that 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 also goes alongside... Um, the fact that we didn't know that Sigga was out for a revenge. And it kind of, the I think, the way you read it and the way we handled, like, the pace with that sort of revealing of the revenge, I think they kind of went hand in hand. So are there any moments in it where you look back and you think, you know what, that actually worked particularly well in audio. I really liked that element of it. Two
1: things. Um, so particular to the story, the moment she has her flashback when she trips over the dead body... It felt more emotional when it was being read out loud in that way. Like, it's a very emotional experience for her, and it just felt like it came across a bit more strongly um, in the audio version of it, which was a really nice surprise. That's really great to hear. I think
0: for you to get that surprise as the author and the narrator, like, that's all down to the fact that you kind of, you know, you'd really invested by this point. You were really, and like, let's be clear, we were in like blanket forts that had been falling down like the whole time. Yet you still, you still really, really engaged yourself with it. And that moment sort of, I mean, I can look back at my notes and I can see that we we stopped and started a lot more sort of towards the beginning of the story. But then towards the end, actually, we weren't re- Edit like we weren't re recording much when it came to the end. I think you really dealt with the sensitivity of that moment.
1: Thank you. Thank you for coaching me through it.
0: <laughs> so we we uh th- we've kind of talked about the new things that you can kind of take from it. But is there anything that you kind of wish you could go back and change in light of it being for audio?
1: Um, changing the story or changing the record itself? Let's go in the story. <laughs> <laughs> um, Probably one of the biggest things was, like, the he says, she says. I know I think we even added in one moment because I think when I'm writing, you don't have to do that. Mm. You can just leave it at that, which yeah. I do a lot. And so there was one moment where you couldn't tell who it was, Um, also because I was doing all of the voices, but because it was such a, like, fluid thing. Mm-hmm. So at, we added in, like as she says, in the audio, so I think that's something it's
0: like structurally needing that sort of yeah, I mean well, you need something like that to like denote the the um the physical structure on a page where you get those new lines and it's very, very brilliantly indicated to us by you know syntax and grammar and all those wonderful things um that with audio, we take for granted because um we don't think comma when we talk um but when you're trying to read it and you're trying to sort of get that natural flow um adding in a he said or a she said is sometimes actually super useful even though you know when you're writing everyone says you probably need fewer tags <laughs> so what about the recording of it what what would you like to change about the recording of it and you're not allowed to say the narrator <laughs>
1: <laughs> i feel like um Oh, that's so hard because it's it so it's like is it too late to be like vocal coach? Like I feel like I like um like to bring more emo not emotion or emotiveness to the uh to the different characters, but like to have like that acting talent maybe, which I don't have, but like to to differentiate the voices a little bit more, I think would have been would have been cool. 'Cause I remember trying to do it like because I have two male characters mm. in the story. And that was so hard to do and I think that's something maybe I would like to, like, practice on, like, be able yeah. to be a little bit more flexible in my, in my vocal range, at least.
0: But I think that some people, I think some of the mistakes that uh, some performers, narrators make when they're narrating someone of the opposite sex is that they think to themselves, right, I need to sound like a man. Or, mm. Now I need to sound like a woman. And then we kind of find ourselves getting into a sticky sort of territory talking about stereotypes. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, and I think that actually one of the things that I really like, especially when working with author narrators, is that you have to find new ways um, Mm -hmm. to make that differentiation. And it comes down to tone and personality and character. Um, And I think that you kind of get something a little bit uh, more authentic in... That then say if someone was like, well, now I'm going to take my highly trained voice and put on an incredibly feminine voice. And then that's exactly the sort of narrator that like people would sort of turn off because mm. people are now listening to audio, not wanting to hear those stereotypes and kind of thinking like, oh, I really wish they didn't narrate that character like that. And it's really it's a tricky balance to get.
1: That's so interesting. But yeah, I mean, well, it's like the difference between, yeah, like a surface level change and something that embodies the character themselves and whether or not like there's a little bit of a change there. But if you're not doing anything else to change who you are, like if you're not doing things to talk about like the tone or the emotion and stuff like Mm. that, then if it is just surface level, then yeah, I can see how that would easily or could become more problematic.
0: So I want to talk about the, um, I guess, the elephant in Iceland, I don't know, um, mm. is the wind. So there's a lot of wind yes. in this uh, episode. And I remember when we were recording, um, we were a little bit concerned about the quality of the recording. We were a little bit, I mean, you know, this is blanket for productions. Mm-hmm. This is uh, super basic. We're kind of really making do with what we've got. And so I remember in the episode, I said, you know what, maybe I could do some like wind effects or something like that. And when I edited up the uh, performance, the narration, I uh, was like, oh, great, the sound, I could the sound quality, I can get rid of the background noise. And then I added in a ton of background noise, because for some reason, I just couldn't shake that idea that I wanted to try it. Um, it's something that you can't really do in a 12 hour long audio book. Um, and, but because this was just kind of like this one insular moment, I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a risk with it. I'm going to use this wind. Um, and so talk me through what that was like listening to it.
1: Oh, I loved it. Did you? Like, I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um like even just start like it starts out with that howling like whistling wind and i loved it it was so atmospheric and it is such a lonely space it's such a cold cold place and i think that wind really contributes to the frozenness of it the isolation of it and just expands the world into almost like another another sense like it feels like it's building and expanding on what I had written in a really great way
0: I'm really glad you said that because I mean I I I have a friend who is an avid audiobook listener um and I I am waiting for her response because she's someone who really likes um very specific uh clear sound and I think she likes quite traditional audiobooks Mm. Um, but I really wanted to try um, this sort of sound design with it. This is my first time sort of really designing sound Mm. um, and man did it make me go, oh I wish uh, I miss my engineers, I miss those sound (laughs) designers Um, and it it gives you a whole new respect for uh, someone else's job when you end up having to do it I'm glad that you felt it sort of added Um, and I I, I I did a couple of things with it as well like we created these sounds um, by like dragging towels across carpet and sort of rubbing our hands together right next to the microphone and blowing in very strange <laughs> ways it was <laughs> it was an odd afternoon in this apartment I must say Um, and then obviously sort of stretching the sound out in in audacity um, and and one of the things I loved about it was that the wind pans from, like, left to right. And so you have, like, the different sort of wind sounds and the whistles coming from, like, different earphones, which I really loved. That was something that I was like, it's very subtle. Um, but, yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed it. Okay, I want to talk about the moment um, where she's on the ice mm-hmm. um, and she hears someone step on the ice. And I want to talk about the tension you created and I just want you to talk me through that moment, sort of did you rewrite that moment lots or did it kind of just flow out?
1: So that was actually I think something that came from our critique group. Um Oh really? Yeah. Uh so when I had originally written it, the men didn't come after her in that way. And I think that the the feedback was about, yeah, dialing up the tension, finding a way to build it up a little bit more. And so I had added in the river for her to cross and Mm. having that presence behind her, um, never really seen, but like she knows it's there in response to that.
0: It felt like it really crossed into um, sort of slight horror moment in that situation for me. For some reason, the sound design that then came out, I I took the wind and I kind of warped it more into a bit more into a screechy sort of tone um how did that step into a slightly different genre work for you
1: I liked it because I think almost or a lot of the times the things that you can't see are some of the things that terrify us the most so leaning into that horror felt right to me
0: okay so how, how has the whole experience changed your sort of perspective on sort of audiobooks, audio productions? Uh, yeah, short stories for audio.
1: It's definitely made me think about audiobooks in a new way and I think a new appreciation for them. i still, I don't know that I could do a whole book, but the idea of like these short, um, snackable almost bits of fiction I think is so interesting and something I would continue to listen to I like listened to Sam's podcast when I was like running errands and it just adds such a nice it was just such a nice thing to do and nice add to my day to have that story of so good um so I do enjoy like the short fiction audio I think that that's something that I hope grows (laughs) I'm
0: glad that it's kind of opened up the conversation um and uh whether you like it or not you have to listen to the rest of the season so I know you'll at least be <laughs> at least be listening to eight more uh stories thank you so much for um suffering through this with me
1: <laughs> thank you again for having me it was a really like I said, a really different experience and one I'm like very glad to have had
0: oh well, I'm glad um so for anyone that's listening um who wants to sort of hear more about your writing um t- tell us where we can find you
1: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Roseys, R-O-S-A-Y-S. I do not post that often, um, but if you check it out, you may see some leadergrams from trips to Iceland and Norway and other places with some salt vibes, as well as the occasional writerly post.
0: Thank you so much to Rosemary for sharing her story and process with us this week. And thank you as always to Teddy Merricks, my one-man production team, for the music and logos and this week some sound design. And thanks, of course, to you for listening. I want to take a second to thank the reviewer Flynn002, who left an amazing five-star review titled, Unlike Any Other Podcast. They wrote... This podcast is such an interesting look at audiobooks. I'm a huge bookworm and writer, and tend to listen to a lot of literary podcasts. But in short, is unlike any other because it focuses on how audio can impact a story. Thank you so much to Flynn002. It means a lot to hear that this podcast is adding to the conversation. For everyone else, please do continue to rate and review the podcast and share on social media. It honestly does help for discoverability by making sure a podcast doesn't get lost at the bottom of the pile. If you're interested in getting involved, either by submitting your short story or having a chat with me about audiobooks, you can find more info and contact details on my website at englishgirlinnewyork.com. Dot .org I also hang around on Instagram under @elishasbooks.n.bobs as in books and bobs This was in short the podcast from Blanket Fort Productions See you all next time